Well, in the first message, I preached from uh, Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, where the lesson or where the theme verse for the year is that SGA uh, shared with us. And in my message, which I'm sure you all know by heart by now and memorized it and uh, went on the website and listened to it numerous times, there's no doubt in my mind about that. I think the website has about uh, 400 hits. Granted, I listened to it 398 of those times, uh, but I'm sure you uh, will do so in the near future. But I concluded by saying that the writer of this letter is calling the community to be a community of faith, hope, and love. A community of faith, hope, and love. But what does that mean? And in, in the, next, the very next chapter, and what we're going to look at today is what does it mean to be a community of faith? What does it mean to put our faith into action? You may remember that as we spoke, we talked about the reason the letter was written is that this was once a strong church, a church that was committed to God, a church that was committed to its faith, but something has happened. They've started drifting away. They've started to become lukewarm. They've started to allow other influences to impact their life. And though they have been blessed by the grace of God, and though they have been blessed by His mercy and forgiveness, they are taking it for granted and not, no longer being respectful, no longer worshiping God like they once did. And so the writer of Hebrews is very concerned. And he writes this letter and at times really challenging them that you should be more mature than this. You should be beyond this by now. Very challenging words. And then in other ways, like a great writer can, the writer inspires and encourages and, and calls them onward to a deeper walk, a deeper faith in Christ. Their faith is shaken and as we all know, at times our faith is shaken perhaps for very good reasons. We don't know all the reasons here to this community, but we know enough, you know enough in life that life can be difficult and hard and you question where is God in this or where was God in that and we get nervous and, and we think maybe God has left us or maybe God doesn't even exist and so our faith, is, our faith is shaken. And So the writer, as we move into chapter 11, is trying to encourage them and remind them of the faith that they have and the faith of those who have gone before them. I'm going to be reading chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 and then skip down uh, and just mention several verses along the way, but in respect and reverence to the Word of God, will you please stand for the reading of the Word this morning? Hear the Word of God in this sanctuary this morning. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, jumping down to verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And now just jumping down as I just skim the chapter. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac, Jacob, Esau. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell and the army marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What more shall I say? I don't even have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. We open our hearts and minds and by faith we trust that you will speak this morning. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. A faith that trusts in God. Now, in other writings, especially in the writings of Paul, there are definitions of faith. And Paul spends a lot of time defining faith. And here in this, in this letter of Hebrews, it's more about calling one's faith of what it looks like. It's almost calling them to put their faith now into action. He do, the writer does say in verse 1, Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain for what we do not see. We are certain that God created the universe out of nothing. And if God can create the universe out of nothing, we can even look to creation and recognize that God is faithful, that God is with us, that God has not left us, so forsaken us. And as I had mentioned in the last message, the whole book of Hebrews is calling the people to remember the supremacy of Christ. Remember that Jesus, God sent his son Jesus to earth while he was a little lower than the angels and then went to the cross and died for you and for me. And on the third day, the father raised Jesus from the grave. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. We know that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and that we as Christians, we the church now have the power of God within us if we but live a life of faith. That is the good news of every message. That is the good news of every every sermon. Christ is supreme. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. The Holy Spirit has descended upon us and we can live in the power, the power of God if we but live by faith. But as the writer to Hebrews is writing, he's, he's calling them to action. He's calling them to put it into practice. Dallas Willard writes this. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in. By arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced. Such things as solitude, silence and prayer, simple and sacrificial living. Intense study, meditation upon God's word and God's ways and service to others. End quote. What Dallas is reminding us here and what the writer of the Hebrews is telling us is is not necessarily a definition of faith, but what faith looks like lived out. And what faith looks like lived out is living as Christ. We are called to live as Christ. That is what it looks like. Do you want to know what the will of God for your life is? I know that's a question we all wrestle with at times. And I came to peace with it many years ago. I realized the will of God for my life was to live as Christ. That is the will of God for your life. Surrender to that. Live into that. Live your faith in such a way. And God will guide and direct your steps. Knowing Christ and all that God has done. Accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. Recognizing that He intercedes for us on on the Father's behalf knowing that he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, 
It must change how we live. It must change how we live. It must affect the everyday aspect of our life. We can no longer be the same. And it it appears what's happening at the church here is that they once believed that. They were once living in a way that glorified God. They were once demonstrating their faith amongst the community and with others. But now something has happened. Now they're going back to living the old ways, maybe. Or maybe just watered down. Maybe just lukewarm. Maybe not living as Christ. Not putting their faith into practice. We need to understand that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Verse 6, as it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So will you live as Christ? Will you put your faith into practice? Will it not just be something that you know or something that you heard or something that your parents taught you? Will it be something that you put into practice in your own life, in your everyday living? That is what the writer is calling this church to, and that is what God calls us to. To live in a way that glorifies God in all that we do. And the way that the writer does it, maybe you picked up on it. He goes back and talks about, and the word he uses is the ancients, the elders, those who have gone before us. And he gives this long list of all those who have gone before them and that who were faithful, who were faithful in even the most difficult of days. It's almost like a hero's hall of fame, heroes of faith hall of fame. All of their lives, everyone mentioned, every one of them, their lives were in danger because of their faith at some point in their journey. And all of them were not living for the here and now. All of them were living for the heavenly kingdom, for they recognized that this was not their home. Noah warned about things not yet seen, yet faithfully moved forward in faith. He's the first man in Scripture to be called righteous. He took God at His word. Can you imagine how Noah was ridiculed and and made fun of all those years building the ark, saying, there's a flood coming, and everyone dismissed him except, except his family. But Noah was faithful. God's word was enough for Noah. Is God's word enough for you? Is the word of God enough for you? It was for Noah. By faith, when he was called to go to a place, it says he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He obeyed and went, even though God didn't give him specifics of where he was going. He, too, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He lived a life like we we sing sometimes, lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Do Do you believe that or do you just sing it? The writer is saying, we're not supposed to just sing these songs. We're we're supposed to live into them and to live out our faith. And that's what Abraham did. You know, it's interesting as I was preparing this and looking at the life of Abraham, I I learned for the first time, I don't know how I missed it so long, you know, he was called to be the descent, the the ancestor, our father Abraham, and, and all the ages would follow after him, that the stars, like the stars and the sands of the ocean, you know, he never owned a piece of land. He never owned a piece of land. Yet he was called to go to the land. I will show you the only land he ever owned was when he bought the burial site for his wife, Sarah. He lived by faith, trusting in the word of God. Verses 13 to 15, we repeat. All these people still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that truth, that faith, and that trust is what carried them through even the most difficult of days. 
that God our Father is preparing a place for us. Verses 20 through 23, we read, By faith Isaac blessed Esau and Jacob in regard to the future. And it goes on, Jacob blessed Joseph. And we, we read of these generations blessing generations. And as you start to get a little older, I don't know if you started to appreciate this, maybe, maybe some of you have, that you realize that you become passionate about those who come behind you. You become passionate about those who are, are younger than you. Maybe, maybe, I guess it could be a sibling, but this, I've definitely experienced this as a father. And I've gotten a little strange as a father. Now, I know you think I was strange before fatherhood, but it went to a whole new degree when the kids arrived. My favorite show was a show called Psych. It still is my favorite show. Now, Edie and I started watching Psych uh, in its very first season when uh, you were in like third grade or whatever. Um, <laughs> And the reason we watch Psych is because we also like a show called Monk. And wow, you know Monk. Right. <laughs> well, Psych started, I think the last season Monk was on. And so we just stayed with it. And, and what I like about Psych is it's not one of those shows that drag on the entire uh, lifespan of a show. You know, that just drags on week after week. Like uh, started watching the show with my daughter Once Upon a Time. That show never ends. It just drives me crazy. I... <laughs> I just want to, I want to throw the TV through the window. But the good thing about, the good thing about Psych is there's, there's a beginning, there's a story, there's some tension, and it always resolves at the end. It's always, it's funny, it's not serious, it's not something you'll have nightmares about uh, at the end. But my daughter on Netflix discovered Psych this summer, and she knew we watched it, so she became a huge Psych fan. This is really the first... Um, thing as a young teenage girl, she's 13, that she's become obsessed with. And, and I'm so thankful she's more obsessed with Gus than, than like One Direction or something. So I, I, appreciate, her, I appreciate her taste. And, and for those of you who, for those of you who don't, don't know the show Psych, there's a, show, there's a guy in the show named Gus who she really likes, and he's my favorite character. And, and Gus has a famous pickup line. He has this one pickup line that he uses all the time. Who knows what his pickup line is? Go ahead, just say it. All right, I think, we have a, I think we have a clip about, it's about eight seconds long. Let's see if we can. Uh... Thanks, Sean. <laughs> you heard about Pluto? It's messed up, right? Mm. That is, that's his line. He uses all the time. And I started, I was actually sharing this with you. I said, if, if I was single when this show came out, I would legit use that line. <laughs> because... A young lady responded to it, that would tell me that she's also a psych fan, and that, of course, that would certainly be of God. So, uh, some of you guys want to try that. So, here we move into a little bit of the creepy uh, dad thing. So, she's, she's got a notebook. She could tell you, like, every episode, where the pineapple is hidden on the show, uh, who the villain was. She can tell it all to you. Well, Dulé Hill was in a show on Broadway called After Midnight just a few, few uh, months ago. And uh, we had to go to New York to visit my brother. My new niece was born, and we went to New York to visit, uh, to visit them. And so uh, I was going to take her to see After Midnight. And we had been there a few weeks before, but he wasn't there. He, was at the, he wasn't in New York that week, so a stand-in was, was uh, in the show. So we didn't want to go see it if, if Dulé Hill wasn't in it. So uh, before I uh, went to New York, <laughs> I've never done this. I'm, you're going to think I'm a weird father. I tweeted Dulé Hill. And said this, you can't see it. I said, at Dulé Hill, are you in the Saturday matinee tomorrow? I'll bring my 12-year-old daughter down from Boston to see you on stage. Hashtag worth the trip. 
<clears throat> what you can't see is that Dulé Hill responded, at Corey McPee, yes I am. So I'm a close personal friend with Dulé Hill. <laughs> and so I never thought I'd do these things as a father, like I'm like stalking celebrities because I want my daughter to meet him. And, and I was always big on meeting celebrities. I love to do that. I'd kind of be giddy. But, but I, I was surprised how I was obsessed. Like, my daughter needs to go to this show. So we went to the show, and I'll never forget, we were in like uh, Dulé Hill on his website. You could buy discount tickets, and you got good seats. And so we were like in the fourth or fifth row, and he was one of the leads. And I knew he was going to come out on stage, and I wasn't watching the stage. I was watching her expression. And when he walked on the stage, boy, she was like, just, I had never seen a smile so big on her face. And I realized that I was more excited for her than, and I was, like I said, usually the giddy one that's stalking celebrities, but now I'm helping her do that. And, and she was just... She was just so excited. It does not even compare the smile that she had. The smile and the excitement that she had. I thought she was going to explode when this happened after the show. There's another picture I won't show that I also took of Dulay Hill. And he had this face like, why am I taking a picture with a 43-year-old guy? This is just like... This is just some strange creeper dad, but I'm surprised I became, you can take Dulé down. (laughs) As much as, you know, I was happy that she could meet him and maybe got a little strange as a dad, it doesn't even come close to comparing what I want to lead her toward to what I want to leave behind and that she'd be passionate about the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing more than that. And I've started to appreciate more and more that how we live our lives not only affects those around us, but affects those who come behind us. And so as we read that Isaac blessed Esau and Jacob and Jacob blessed Joseph, and we read all of these blessings, we start to understand that one of the things that was sustaining to their faith was their love for those who would come behind them. By faith, Moses' parents hid him after he was born. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He'd rather be mistreated and be faithful to God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And what the writer is meaning by that is He'd rather worship God than worship anything or anyone else. On to verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. One of the worst of sinners can be one who can also point us to God. The grace of God is available to us all. Verse 39 and 40, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They never did see Christ. But at Christ's return, we will all be one for all that Christ has done in and through us throughout the ages. By their faith, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you too can be faithful. The power of God is sufficient enough for you for you to be faithful. 
whether your life is in danger, whether it's just being faithful on a Christian college campus in the dorms. You can be faithful if if you trust in God and live a life of faith. So who are your heroes of the faith? If you were to write a list, by faith, maybe my mom, or by faith, my grandmother, or by faith, this pastor, who are they for you? For me, it is my... uh, it's my cousin, Rhonda. About 10 years ago, her, my second cousin, uh, who was a year old, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And our little church prayed for Brock like you wouldn't believe. And we believed in healing. At the same time, another member of the church, his nephew, overdosed on heroin, uh, was unconscious in his room for 48 hours over Christmas. And was on life support and near death. And we prayed for Frankie too. And we believed that God could heal. And in a miracle like I've never seen before or since. Frankie was healed. He woke up one night. Went through rehab. Was doing well. I remember talking with Frankie in the rehab and saying, Frankie... And I didn't know him very well. I first met him when he was in a coma and on life support. I said, Frankie, God's given you another chance. Don't waste it. Don't waste it on heroin and drugs. He's like, yeah, I I won't. I won't, Pastor. I won't. About a week or two later, his family, his mom, his single mom, dropped off a bunch of gifts, used clothing, and said, here, we'd like to just donate these to the church. And you give them out to whoever you think needs them. And Maybe I told Edie, or I remember telling someone from the church, I was like, I don't, I don't think we're going to see him again. I think they felt like they owed us something, and so they dropped off a gift and never did see him again. And Brock's mom, my cousin, her husband, her children, faithful followers of Christ, served God all the days of their life, and a few months later, Brock died. And my faith was shaken. It's not that I wanted Frankie to die. It's not even that I thought he should die. I just didn't understand why a little two-year-old boy had to die for something he never caused. It wasn't his fault. And it was his mom's faith. It was his mom's faith in those days who helped me. And our little church. And we prayed and prayed and, and, and our prayers did not Changed the situation. Brock died. All I can tell you is that prayer changed us. It made us a deeper community of faith. As Rhonda wrote that letter thanking us and telling us how it meant so much to her because we prayed. So she's one of my heroes of the faith. Who are yours? And the other reason I can be at peace and have worked through that trial. I can't even imagine how difficult the storm it was for his parents and what they went through. But verse 16 reminds us of something. And allow me to insert Brock's name. God is not ashamed to be called Brock's God. And God has prepared a city for him. And we can be at peace with that as followers of Christ. Remembering those who have gone before us. Remembering those that are still with us. 
The perfect example of that we heard on Wednesday, if you joined us for chapel, as J.D. concluded his message, as he was going through a faith crisis, as his dad left his mom and he was just rattled his world. You remember it was the one who had gone before him. It was his mother who said, J.D., because he lives, I can face tomorrow. So the writer to Hebrews is calling you and to me to put our faith into action. There will be times of doubt and frustration and confusion and anger and sorrow. But keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. By faith. In the same way there is doubt and frustration, there will be peace and joy and comfort and a love that surpasses all understanding. I promise you it will be there. And maybe you will be a first generation Christian. My father was the first generation Christian of my family. Little to no faith background. Alcoholism on all sides of his family. And I'm thankful for that Baptist pastor in Lima, New York that paid a house call. and Asked Jim, my dad, if he'd accept Christ as his Lord and Savior as he did. And my father broke the cycle. He broke the cycle of sin. He broke the cycle of destruction and alcoholism. By the grace of God, the cycle was broken. So he is a first generation Christian. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you've been in the faith for quite some time and like those in this church that this letter is written to, you've started to drift away or maybe you've come a little bit lukewarm. Like the writer, I want to call you back. I want to call you back to put your faith in action. You see, your faith in action, your faith lived out or your faith's lack of action has an impact on the lives around you and those who come behind you. So your faith in action or lack of action has an impact on the lives around you and those who come behind you. So what type of influence do you want to leave? I want us to live, I love that word, I want us to live like the ancients. To live like the ancients, the ones who have gone before us, who were commended for their faith. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, remember the ancients. You spoke the word, they spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their, the way they live their lives and imitate their faith. And as we imitate the faith of others, as we see faith lived out in others, we see them living and faithfully proclaiming the grace, mercy, as they live as Christ. So I'm calling you to do the same this morning. I'm calling you to do the same. Put your faith into action. For it will have an impact, not only on your own life, but those in the pews next to you. It will have an impact on others in this room, whether they want to be here or not. And it will have an impact on those who come behind you. So put your faith into action and live as Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for those who have gone before me. I know I would not be standing on this platform this morning if my father did not make that decision to accept you as Lord and Savior of his life. 
And I thank you for that Baptist pastor in Lima, New York, who paid a house call and called my father to accountability and said, will you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? I would not be here if that moment did not happen. So thank you for the faithfulness of my father and the faithfulness of that pastor and the faithfulness of that pastor's parents and church before him. And I call now to anyone sitting in this room to the same, will you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? Will you put your faith in God? I promise you won't regret it. And your life will never be the same. And live your faith in front of all around. Father, make us a people, a community that puts our faith in action. May we be grateful for all that you've given us. May we be grateful in this moment as we close this time together by standing and singing. Praise God from...